Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. What's up, players? Welcome to Going Off Track. Yo, yo, yo. <laughs> I'm Jonah. This is Brad. Yo, yo. What's up? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, How's it going, Brad? Uh, it's going okay. I'm doing fine. Yeah? I'm very busy. I guess I, have, I keep saying that, but I'm enjoying my summer. I'm managing to uh, travel a little bit. You yeah? Know. Anything exciting? Go to the beach. I went to the beach, beach for a week. I'm going to go back down for a few days. Nice. I'm um, gonna go see my mom's up in the Adirondacks. Very cool. It's a nice place to go during the summer. It's you know it's nice and cool up in the mountains. I don't get up there enough, considering how nice it is. Yeah, me neither. Um, yeah, I'm just straight chilling. You're uh, about to run off to Europe like a going fucking to pimp. Europe, going to Europe, going to Japan. I've got some traveling coming up. So uh, yeah, if you guys know any cool places to check out in. Uh, I'm going to a bunch of different places. Actually, it's going to be way too complicated. <laughs> I'm not, not going to list them all because it's super boring. And you might actually, you might actually get taken to like some pretty awesome places yeah. on your trip. Actually, you, you never know. I mean, one thing about Japan, as you know, you get—they're the best hosts in the world. Yeah, I'm if excited. You have any sort of invitation over there? The people are going to well, make sure that you have a good time. I just spoke with uh, Fat Mike. And he oh, gave no. me a bunch of places to go in Japan. No, 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 no. <laughs> some cool bars. <laughs> no. Some cool places where he said you can get tied up. <laughs> um, but he also said that you can also just go and like hang out for like whatever, a hundred bucks. You can hang out and just drink and watch. He's like, it's fun. You don't have to do anything, <laughs> but you should check it out. So I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Could be a, a different side of Japan. Yeah. Than I'm be. used to. Yeah. Um, not the Disney side. Not the Disney that side. That they're so good at. Yes. Uh, today on the podcast, we recorded this one a little while ago, uh, Kevin Devine. Yeah. He's... Uh, Sorry it took us a minute to get out, Kevin. But Yeah. Kevin doesn't care. He's a nice Best dude. for last, right? Yes. Uh, Kevin, uh, kind of not really super good friends with him, but we have a lot of the same friends, and we kept running into each other, and then we finally made this happen, which I'm so glad we did, because... Uh, this is a really good podcast. And Kevin is, um, he also does that band Bad Books with Andy from Manchester Orchestra. 
uh, who's in Miracle 86. He's had a ton of solo releases, and he's doing this Divinal split series thing right now where he does a 7-inch with him and one of his friends. So he did one with, first one was with Matthew Cause from Not A Surf, who did one of our live podcasts. Mm-hmm. Second one was with, uh, I think it was Meredith Grace from Perfect Pussy. And he has a third one um, with, I think, Tiger Straw. Yeah, I think that one's out. But yeah, so him and really cool bands doing split seven inches. And you can go on his site and subscribe and just get them all when they come out, which you should just do because why not? Subscribe to the seven inch. Yeah, that's I, pretty cool. I like the seven inch clubs. I, I used to, Chuck Reagan was one of the first guys I knew. I mean, I know Sub Pop did that one that was really famous, yeah. but uh, Chuck Reagan did one maybe like 10 years ago and it was great. Like, you forget about it and every couple months you just get a seven inch. Yeah, and so, hopefully it comes the same day that your, your bottle of wine comes that you subscribe to right yeah 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 i try to coordinate all of my subscriptions <laughs> so you can pop so that wine come at the same day and, and listen to seven inch on yeah so yeah so check out his seven inch series check out all his music and yeah let's get into it with uh kevin divine I didn't shower today. I'll be completely transparent Me with either. you. I didn't shower today either. I've been cracking off a lot more like 48-hour no showering oh, yeah. things lately. Uh, Wash, like, do the face in the, in the sink and <clears throat> away you go. Are you... Because are you, uh, when you're on tour, I imagine you can't shower. It depends it de- on the mode of transport. We right. are, I mean, obviously, we can't. I can't even look at uh, a bus as like an expense I can't even fathom. But there's all these like mid-level things now between a van and that. Those like... There's an RV company that rents out to bands now and uh, those bandwagon things. Have you been on one of those? I have. Those things are so cool until you realize they have no shocks. No shocks at all. (laughs) What's a bandwagon? What is it? It's like a converted kind of box truck that they built um, bunks in and like a kitchenette. It's somewhere between an RV and a box truck kind of. Right. One small slit window. It's pretty, but but for a band that's a van and trailer band, yeah. it's like there are aspects of it. You can shower on board, which is, we're really sticking to the shower theme. No, yeah, man, it's someone, important. Someone drove a bandwagon. Oh, Minus the Bear brought one and they showed it Oh, to okay. Me. Uh-huh. I drove, I actually f- drove it, drove it when we did it. Really? Um, and it, it, you somehow they have it set up so you can be just like a regular licensed driver and um, maneuver that thing, drive that thing. You should not be able to. Really? Oh, no fucking way. It's really like this close to a tractor trailer or something like that. The uh, Kevin's making a sign that his fingers are so close together. Oh, I didn't realize. Yeah, yeah. Like I a am. centimeter. <laughs> yeah, they're, it's very close. <laughs> I'm watching so much Daredevil and the, the blind thing. And now I'm, I feel like I need to explain everything on the podcast. <laughs> yes. I'm not caught up. Be quiet. <laughs> I haven't started. I just had this conversation earlier so this morning. Stupid somebody, good. It's I've heard it's great. Yeah, it's... Um, Do you read the... Are you a, a Daredevil fan? Yeah. Steven is yeah. a comic savant. I'm half uh, there. Well, it's, going in and out. Yeah, I... I, I I'm very I'm picky about writers. Yep. So when Kevin movie. Smith did a run of Daredevil, that's when I got back in. That's when I started mm-hmm. getting back into it too because yeah. I felt like he kind of referenced some of the Frank Miller yeah. stuff mm-hmm. and I, I was into that. I was too young and it was too dark for me for the, oh, the Frank th- Miller. Then you know, for yeah. sure. I went back to yeah. it later. Yeah. I remember buying like Frank Miller's excuse me, Electra Assassin and a week later there was a special on like the local news network about like children should not be caught buying this comic and i'm like crap i bought it last week so. <laughs> i'm a badass shit i don't know and the store sold it to me Otna. <laughs> dude i bought the 
Body Count CD when it came out <laughs> at my local record store because I was like a huge Ice T fan. It, like the long box Body Count with Cop Killer on it. Nice. Yeah. And just walked in, bought it, and then all that stuff happened way later. All that cop killer controversy stuff didn't happen until after everything was out. I think that yeah, like it was like a time release thing. Totally. Yeah. Where then, was your where Where did you grow up? Cleveland. Here? Oh, I thought so I knew you were in Cleveland for AP stuff. Yes. I didn't know. So I grew up there. Then I went to school in upstate New York, and then I got hired by AP, so I moved back to Cleveland. Ah, okay. Which was like I never wanted to move back there, but it was like my <laughs> dream job. And I was like twenty two. I was like, oh, what do I do? I guess I you do it. I guess you do it. Yeah. Go book in. And where are you from? Here. Uh, I grew up in Bay Ridge, which I now live back in, so it's like a weird, wasn't necessarily the plan, but I don't live in like my childhood home there, but um, which I assume you didn't either. I know, didn't either, no, no. I, Briefly. Yeah, yeah. I, I grew up in Bay Ridge, and then when we were, I was 11, we moved to Staten Island, and that's kind of where I started playing shows. There was actually a standalone interesting hardcore scene in staten island in the 90s there were like dozens of bands from there and like people would come there was a period of time where touring bands would actually play at this place the joint on staten island between like the pwac and playing at what's the squat place in the lower east side that abc no Rio? yeah right mm -hmm. or like sunday matinee shows at brownies or wetlands too so the, we had like a thing there where people would actually come play shows and that's where i started doing this stuff but i'm fascinated by yeah i never now. knew that it was it, the, the dude you know that place food swings yeah that guy freedom tripodi is the guy who opened that place he since sold it now i think it's actually gone gone is it or is it still there that's the kind of place i feel like i go like every four years or something yes on like a friday night <laughs> at two in the morning yeah, and eat or like something. mac and cheese and chicken fake chicken fingers and they're they're the wings were the, the, or wings the were, buffalo wings the buffalo were the wings thing. are pretty awesome but that dude was the guy he had like a mail order in his living room and he worked at the one record store okay i remember like getting your record reviewed by him on the sticker in the store was like that was hot shit that was like a big thing that's so funny. Yeah, it was. But so anyway, that was that's where I was. So Brooklyn and Staten Island went to school at Fordham in Manhattan. Oh yeah, and then moved back to In the Bronx. Right there, that's the main campus, and there's a Lincoln Center one. And that's oh. where I was. But you, I moved back to Bay Ridge, two thousand. Lived in apartments either there or Park Slope since. So Brooklyn, Staten Island, Manhattan, my whole life. Wow. And I feel like I sort of heard of you through, I guess, Brand New and Jesse Lacey. I Makes felt like sense. they were always kind of bringing you out. And, they and, still are. Yeah. yeah. He reps us. He's been very, they they have been very generous with that for sure. For a long time. I think the first time I had a band called Miracle of 86 and we played with them on Long Island and a band called Excite Bike opened up, like the Nintendo game. And it was like the backyard of a church. And I think we headlined that show. I think that's probably the last time we headlined a show over brand new. That was like 1999. Okay. So I've known him for for a really long time. Gotcha. Yeah, that's so cool. I mean, um, yeah, they're doing stuff now, I guess. I, I've like always been kind of a tangential on the edge kind of. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I was... When I first played with them, I was also like more provincial indie rock prick, early 20s. Like my tastes had kind of moved away from... I don't know that stuff. I was into like get up kids and sunny day was a big deal and, and, and like mineral and uh promise ring. And then I kind of like the Elliot Smith bound Sebastian thing happened when I was like 18 and I kind of ran in the, in that direction, got into a lot cat power and that kind of stuff, but was still playing those shows. And I remember seeing brand new and kind of being like, meh, 
And then hearing the next record, the Deja record, and being like, oh, this is good. Like, he's writing songs from a... I just thought he was always, I don't know if the right way to say it, better than his peer group. Like, from this, from a... T- I don't know. There's stuff I liked. I thought there was more of that in what he was doing. And right. I think they've developed... Like, they're such a different band than that first record. Now I kind of like the first record. I think it's, like, sweet when I hear them play those <laughs> songs live. But I remember then being like, you know, kind of half scoffing at it. And yet again, the world didn't give a shit about my <laughs> my assessment. And usually at that time, if I thought something was like we were asked to play a show with the Strokes at the Mercury Lounge. And I was like, you know, I thought they were like uptown rich kid. Right. And then I was like, five years later, I was like, actually, these two records are perfect. <laughs> And millions of people were right, and I was wrong. So I'm unfamiliar with backing the wrong horse. I don't know what that. You've yeah. only always cho- <laughs> chosen correctly. God, I, I think my favorite is Jonah and I to strike anywhere show, and we're like, "Why aren't there more people here?" Yeah, this is the best band in the world. They are a good band. You know what I mean? But yeah. it's that. It's that. I don't know. It's that. The opposite of the of you know it's the other end of the long tail, <laughs> right? And best band doesn't always necessarily mean the band there's consensus around too. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that I love that like thirty people will go see. And sometimes I like that because I don't like crowds or being around. Yeah, people. right. You get to have it be your own kind of thing. But then I feel bad. I'm like, ah, these guys should be making more dough than just my stupid ass standing uh, right, in the corner. Yeah. That's how I feel about every time I see Jake Bellows. I don't know if you ever listened to Nova. <laughs> yeah, but he's he comes to like Mercury Lounge every couple of years, and it's so good. Yeah, and I'm always like, why is this always at Mercury Lounge? He's, I mean, and you know, whether or not I, I, I I'm not equipped to say this about from a qualitative perspective, but I kind of. I have a soft spot for those dudes because I'm sort of one of those dudes. There's definitely a lot of places where I go and 50 people will come watch us play. And then there's other places where more than that will come, but not thousands of that. So it's like, I remember reading an interview with that dude, Cass McCombs, who seems pretty far out, but I I like a lot of his stuff. And he said someone, I think it was Pitchfork interviewed him and they were like, I saw your sold out show in San Francisco and your sold out show in New York. And he was like, yeah, but you didn't see the three weeks between that. And right. that's the reality for, there's a lot of places you'll go and Juanita's in Little Rock, Arkansas is not the same show as like Webster Hall, you know, <laughs> but Jake Bellows, I think is totally one of those people who you see him and you're like, this dude's songs are great. He performs. So like, he's kind of effortlessly good. It right. seems like, and you're like, there should be tons and tons of people at this show. But And you just did a super long tour because we met this SNL after party, right? which so you, I feel like I have to. I feel like I was super weird at that thing because I was overwhelmed by the kind of spectacle of it. I feel like maybe you've been, you got more accustomed to like, yeah, the dual citizenship. But, yeah, it's pretty weird, but <laughs> yeah, like my buddy Casey Jost, who's a comic and has done a lot of video work with our band, his brother is Colin, who's on the show. And so, and weirdly, I went with Jesse from Brand New and his wife and my wife and Jesse's mom to see SNL because Jesse's wife did tailoring work for Lorne Michaels' wife. Okay. So there's all this like, or gar- girlfriend, wife, I don't know, partner. And um, so he had tickets. He asked us to go. We went. I reached out to you because I've talked a little bit on Twitter with Vanessa. Right through laura stevenson or something weird all these points of triangulation 
But then after the show was over, Casey and Colin were like, come to this party. And I don't know the last time I was in like a bar like that in the Upper West Side of Manhattan. At like two in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just, and then seeing you and seeing Jenny Owen Young, I was just like. Jenny was, yeah, Jenny came. I forgot about that. I was having so much uh, cognitive dissonance, like just trying to like, what the fuck is happening here? And trying to just keep it all level that I felt like I was like, oh, hi. When talking to you. We should also add that Casey is the writer of one of my favorite TV shows, Impractical Jokers. He is. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And and someone recently asked me, though, do you ever get starstruck? And I was like, (laughs) I I was at the stand a few weeks ago and Sal from Impractical Jokers was there. Staten Island boy, Monsignor Farrell High School. And literally, like, I couldn't go up to him. I was such a big fan. (laughs) And I I told Colin the next week, I was like, like, he's like, you should have said something. He would have loved it. I was like, I couldn't. Dude, I can't do it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is insane, but. No, but that's true. You get, I feel like it's more, it's kind of random people that actually end up having that. Exactly. Yeah. I was at the, the Kmart up by Astro Place and I was, I was getting a prescription and the guy standing next to me also waiting was Jeffrey Wright. Oh yeah. Whoa. Who I love. He's like, great. Like he's such, like he's one of those actors who are like, you're just good no matter Everything what you do. Everything he's in, he's great. So, you know, and. Makes it better. And I didn't know what, I was like, you know, he's getting a prescription. So am I. Yeah, what are you going to say? That's personal. Yeah, you know? very intimate. And so as he walked away, I was like, hey, man, I just, I really love all your work. You're just great. He's like, oh, thanks. Yeah. And you, you want to go seem genuinely touched, but he is an actor. Yeah, right. But, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like <one> <laughs> He could have just turned that engine on right yeah, there. He's like, that's what, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Dick. Did that happen? Did that I'm happen? I'm buying Vagisil. You're an asshole. Which you don't need a prescription for, so that makes no sense, that joke. But it's like maybe super high end. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Kind. Yeah, maybe needs extra strength. A maybe. potent I don't know. strength. Did that happen to you a lot more when you lived in LA? Do you feel what? like just running into celebrities and stuff? I didn't run into. Not in LA, not really. I, I, when I first moved to LA, this is kind of the best in my opinion, first celebrity sighting mm-hmm. story is I moved to LA and uh, my my aunt took me to a fishbone show at the House of Blues mm-hmm. and we got there a little early. So we that's went, awesome, by the way. Yeah, my that aunt is awesome. took me to, just, that it was, was like, it was really cool. Yeah. You know, she's only like seven years older than me. So it's kind of like, you know, yeah, yeah. older sister kind of thing. But, um, and across the street, diagonal was the the Rainbow Room, you know, and yep. the rocks yeah, and yeah. all that. So I'm like, let's wander over the Rainbow Room. I've heard stories about that place. And we walk in, and there's Lemmy just hanging out playing Miss Pac-Man. And he went, you want to play? And I was like, no. Oh, that's awesome. But that was the first celebrity setting I ever had in LA. And I was like, that's all right. That's yeah, a it's a one. high bar to set. Yeah. You, you also like walked into one of those stories from the Rainbow Room. Like yeah. Lemmy standing in the corner playing Miss Pac-Man. Just hanging out. You have that now. You are part of a story from there. All it was. That's yeah. my one degree. That's great. I remember years later actually interviewing Kevin Bacon, and I was like, I, I can't say it. I'm going to say it. It's nice. To, I'm one degree. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's incumbent upon you. Have to. Yeah. You have to at that point. I remember reading. He was telling a story about like I used to hate it, but I'm like, wait, who else has a game? No one else has a game. I yeah, have dude. a fucking game. Yeah, yeah. I have a game. Own it. Lean into it. <laughs> I think it's great. I could see initially being like overwhelmed, maybe by mm-hmm. that, and being like, do I want to be the game guy? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's sort of his. I feel like that's kind of overshadowed his. It certainly Acting career did. a little bit. Yeah, I don't know if it still has. It seems like he's kind of because I saw a commercial. I feel like. Um, last year where he i forget what it was for but it basically was him owning yeah oh yeah it might have been like an american express something probably yeah i I also heard that i also heard that when he goes to weddings that he 
has the Footloose dance memorized still, and he'll do it. Like he's that cool about it. Is that's pretty amazing. Pretty, I'm pretty. I, I don't anyone quote me. I think ever. we are all quoting you now yes. publicly. <laughs> I think you just <laughs> you put it out to public records. I want to rewind slightly. You mentioned like Jenny Owen Youngs and Laura Stevenson, who we've had on the show and toured and, with both and, of them. Yeah, I gotta say like that makes so much sense because we like all of you guys have that. I always get, you know, you mentioned Jesse Lacey and being a songwriter, but he's in a band brand new, mm-hmm. but he's a great songwriter. Mm-hmm. You know he what is. I, mean? yeah, I love what he does. Yeah. And it's that weird differ- differentiation of, you know, Kevin Devine goes out and towards Kevin Devine, but it's not like a band, but you are a songwriter. Mm-hmm. So is Laura. So is Jenny. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It, that always trips me up where um, when you write, do you work with other musicians and have them, you know, add things, arrange, if you will? Usually how it goes and it moves around, but like I just wrote something yesterday we're doing this split single series all through the year and the first one came out in february with uh matthew from not a surf matthew cause the second one comes out in may with meredith graves from perfect pussy tiger's jaws after that and then i wrote something yesterday for the fourth one we haven't announced like the back end yet but so the writing process is fresh in my brain if you had asked me two weeks ago i might be like how do i write songs but um <laughs> i usually write a structure um you know verse chorus pre-chorus if there's a bridge or whatever and then um kind of map that out if there's counter melody ideas or you know instrumental lead ideas i'll kind of like demo those and usually i present the other musicians for this one there's a bassist the the band i just toured with drummer damon cox who played in a band called n horse this australian band and then um the bassist is jay russo who has bands of his own hopewell common prayer and he played mercury rev for a while oh, wow. so i sent that i i try to send the other musicians like a pretty it's an acoustic or i don't know there was electric guitar on it but you know there's no drums there's no bass i don't put like a drum machine or something to approximate what i think it should sound like but i send them a pretty full sketch that's like and then i can kind of get when i i tell myself i'm going to start just with an acoustic guitar and a vocal and then they'll have an idea of the contours of the song and if i'm singing louder or playing harder that means someone has stepped on a pedal and the drums are louder and that's the rock part but then i end up getting lost in this thing where i i tend to layer it and i'm sending like there's three-part harmonies and i I like i forget the demo is a demo and i tend to make the demo somewhere between like a sketch and a releasable song so i think and then you know i know just using jesse as an example we worked on he produced this last record we made with us and he was like oh that's so different than how we write songs that's like i'll have like a riff or a chord structure and i'll just sit there and play it for two hours until it turns into a thing and i guess because i've written so much alone i don't do that that way i tend to like structure a song and then either pick the structure apart add to it but i kind of have like the beginnings of a song when i would show it to you i'm sure part of that is also some like bullshit perfectionist impulse to want to like i have this thing in my head that feels like i should be able to play a song for you half an hour after it's conceived which is not real like no one's coming in the room with a gun and being like it's time you know but um so i don't know that's how it tends to i tend to write them and then they get built up or stripped down how do you know when it's finished um 
sometimes this is such a borderline hippie cop out answer. I think sometimes the song tells you when it's finished. Sometimes you're like, because I, I try to not overthink it. If it's a pop song, it doesn't need a four minute, you know, deconstructed, you know, ambient jam section in the middle it just kind of needs to like play a guitar solo over the verse chords i, or... I like to say that should be a uh, status quo for all tunes <laughs> it's probably true <laughs> just for me yeah. yeah yeah i mean i love that song off the record by my morning jacket it was like from z i think it was and it was the single and it had this weird kind of rock reggae feel that they flirted with something they should have never flirted with and it worked then the end of the song was like a five minute jam outro that was just kind of like Something that should have been on like Hawaii Five O, and I was like, "This is cool," but also the song could have just ended on the last chord. Yeah, I have that that tendency to for concision in that way with with those songs. But and then sometimes something's I don't mind like Neil Young and Crazy Horse Jammy, Built to Spill Jammy. I can live with that, but it's a fine line. It it really is, and I always wonder what that differentiation is. Like we've mentioned so many times in the podcast, like Fugazi is basically a jam band. You know what I mean? Totally has and, those, yeah, and instincts. For as many times as I've seen them, and I've seen shows that you're just like, ah, stop! This I is never awful. saw them. That's awesome. That they, they have some shitty them. shows, which I'm is, sure, which is great. All bands do. Um, but there's, you know, you get to that moment where you know you're watching them and they're going back and forth. And they're just kind of the dueling guitar thing, and I'm sitting there, and then I'll think can do this but if this was you know string cheese incident i'd want to kill somebody oh, yeah. what is the difference yeah you know it always fascinates me maybe um, maybe the difference is in the information like what the band uh, what the band listens to to get to that place or i also think maybe it's even in the skill level because fugazi are all really skillful players but they're all they come from punk they're all kind of intuitive mm -hmm. I almost think like two if you're fish or if you're like if you're too good noodly that's yeah. actually bad because you can just jam endlessly well i think because sonic youth jammed in a sense oh, God, totally. i've seen that too and you're just like after a while you're like i get it uh, yeah right there's the first x minutes of that are cool and then there's a part where you're like I saw my bloody Valentine happening. years ago do the um the twenty minute Holocaust one chord wall of oh, noise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where in your head you'd go kill me, and then you're like, okay. Yeah, I think it depends. Yeah, because and after like, a while you're like, oh my god, this is amazing. Yeah, right. It kind of crosses yeah. over and circles back around again. Lots of hand gestures for a podcast today. I got to chill out, like <laughs> closing right. my eyes. We blinking. have a sketch artist. Yeah. I, th I think it's a stylistic thing because yeah, if it's like fish, I don't care. But if it's like Jay Maskus or Doug Marsh or any come from yeah. Silkworm, it's like I can listen to you solo for like four hours that's yes, exactly so, yeah. right yeah that's and those are the right people i remember seeing a jay maskus show at south by southwest a couple years ago where he played alone with an acoustic guitar through a big muff yeah i've seen him do that a bunch of times it's incredible it's and then audacious he rips dude he's solos yeah. like he's yeah. literally soloing he's there's nothing acoustic. else happening yeah. in the middle of a sort of sweet that's several several shades of why record i think it was and then he'd like rip a big muff acoustic <laughs> guitar solo and i was like I should hate this, but it's fucking awesome. I know, yeah. I know. It's it's pretty good. Yeah. But I actually think I took us way the hell off course. You started to talk to me about before we went to SNL thing. Oh, I think I was just There's no reason to bring it back. Yeah. Let it go. <laughs> yeah. Let it die. I think I was just saying that's how that's how we actually met or something. But yeah, I'd heard about you a lot through Dubin, obviously. Yeah. I think I've whole. seen you play and uh, a number of times, but I don't know. 
probably well, through Mike Dubin until I met you. Yeah, right. Dubin's been like a long term. He's a he's my friend, but he's also prior to that he was the, one of the first people to ever like champion our music. Like that wasn't from my very immediate circle. I played a show in. DC in 1999 with my band and it was with a band that was about to sign to his fadeaway records mm-hmm. label and they were like you should put out a record on this label and I, that also it was just like yeah sure whatever and then we got home and I think this was pre-email I think Dubin called me or pre me having good email and Dubin called me at my dorm room and was like on a landline and was like, these guys told us you should, you know, we should hear your band. And we went out and ate and that was probably 16 years ago. And he's been part of, he got weirdly, weird stuff. He kind of helped get me signed to Triple Crown Records mm-hmm. for my solo stuff before I knew anything about their label or... 25 to Life. It was, they were still, I think they were still part of the picture Fred at that Feldman point. Fred there? Feldman, yep. yeah. Good dude. Great. And like, yeah, one of a very dwindling community in the music industry of like cool people who do it for the right reasons and are fair and smart. And I'm unfamiliar. <laughs> I've never met any. No. I always I always bring up Rick to Life and Twenty Five to Life to Fred whenever I see him. You have I think to. it's so annoying. Yeah, I can't help it. <laughs> it's perfect. I, yes. I played poker with him once and with Fred and... Feldman or with Rick to Life. Oh, with Fred Feldman. Oh, okay, no. <laughs> that would be awesome. No. Those days are done. <laughs> um, you know, what's crazy too is Miracle of 86. I heard so much about, like, I had a perception, especially when I moved to New York or mm-hmm. when I was in upstate, like, I feel like they had a really big f- following as far as my perception of it. But was, I wish that was your perception was reality. Well, I feel like that's a lot of bands from that era, especially mm-hmm. like th- things are so locally based. Like, I was like, a lot of bands I wouldn't really hear about in Cleveland. And then mm-hmm. you come to the East Coast and it'd be like, I don't know, movie life or whatever. Sure. Like these bands are huge. I mean, ha- but in reality, that band, what was it? Not really Not huge. Too much. I mean, we, it was weird because we didn't tour very much. We played a lot in Staten Island, New York, Long Island, bits in Brooklyn. And like, you know, we did Boston, Philly, DC, but we didn't even go out to like chicago or any of that so we did a tour we had a record called every famous last word that was like i think the good one like i still like those songs and but that was 2003 and we did a tour with sorry about dresden that was a saddle creek yeah band. Dude, i listen to them all the time actually yeah i like i really like them. i like them too i completely forgot about that band and what a rough name tough yeah. name and actually we had one of their shirts uh in Europe on the subsequent tour and definitely like I kind of wasn't thinking about yeah it's a tough Maybe shirt should... to wear in Germany no like, yeah that's the worst what is wrong with you man but um oh god but they uh we that the on war that, was done yeah <laughs> leave it alone <laughs> on that tour we went and did like Chicago Omaha uh we played in like the southeast Birmingham Alabama and Atlanta and those are places we hadn't done. We did South by Southwest on that record. And so that was like the extent of that band's touring life. And then we started to kind of build an audience and the band broke up fairly soon after that. But no, I mean, even in New York, I, I would, if we, we played Brownies, Mercury Lounge, Maxwell's, and they would not be like sold out shows. And when we, we did shows in 2013, they were those three places. So for our band, it was like, oh, these are the biggest shows this band's ever played. Right. 
which was cool. It was fun to actually play those rooms and have them be full. And I guess in the intervening 10 years, like from, I've done a lot more work. So some of that, you know, pro the internet helps and some of the profile raised slightly, but no, not a big band, <laughs> not a big band. Well, everybody has that. Oh shit. They're not playing anymore. I missed that. Crap. Yeah. yeah. And, you, and you build it up. There's, um, there's a, a book about the DC scene called, uh, uh, dance of days oh yeah, yeah that looks yeah. awesome yeah it's great but like i'm from northern virginia and i've been to one or two of those shows and i was by no means cool my friends were right. a thousand times more but there's a couple of them and i was like that was there was fucking nobody at that show yeah yeah you know yeah I mean? yeah and it just comes off that way yeah and it's, but it's interesting because you know you're you build up in your head like whatever it is like i uh for everyone i know who saw the misfits in the 80s they're being their first response is yeah yeah like, <laughs> <laughs> not good no no yeah don't, it's like it's like listen to i remember listening to a misfits bootleg in high school going is this is this all t- tuning yeah right is this that? is supposed to be cool yeah that sounds awful the songs are good yeah they get to them right 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 <laughs> i mean that- i think part of the thing with that perception too maybe in, a, in, a, in that scene it, it's proximity in some respect i feel like with us we became when brownies used to do the sunday all ages matinee shows we kind of became the like band we were the like in-house opening band for any like touring emo or indie rock band that played those shows so maybe part of the perception is like we would be on bills with right right all those bands bright eyes cursive Raina maria and then all the long island stuff brand new and taking back sunday and so there was lots of, and we like Desa Parasados and Rilo Kylie, and there was a lot of us playing with, there's a lot more. I mean, I could think of that we did, we did lots of those shows that were regional, but we never did tours with those bands, which right. would have been killer. But um, I was in school and I kind of didn't prioritize touring till I didn't really, really go out a lot till I was like 23, 4, 5. What were you studying in school? journalism and english and doing terrible this. yeah no career with that at that's all. right jonah mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it sort of seemed to me like either path was going to be like you might not make any money and it's going to be hard so it was like well let's try i love the music one and i like the journalism one mm-hmm. so let's see how it shakes out and it's still shaking out yeah yeah just is yeah exactly but <laughs> do you write i mean do you like like when you say journalism like what did you gravitate towards was it you know my ta- my like uh I-, I think that i would have been really limited because i feel like you have to have my brother writes about basketball for yahoo and that's a, a specific thing and he's super knowledgeable and curious about it and he's got a funny voice and he's like growing in that world by leaps and bounds it's awesome to watch but I was like, I'd write about something I was super interested in. And then anything outside of that, I was like flatline brain dead. And I feel like when you start in journal, like he got to that place, but he spent four years, like he was like a beat reporter for the Bay State Banner, which is like the African-American paper of record in Boston. He was, uh, he wrote for like Tech Target, which is some super inside baseball tech website like you have to do stuff that's not just like i want to write a thing piece about eminem right like you can't really start there in that or my experience was not that so i feel like um i didn't have the like get down in the dirt 
you know, or the intellectual curiosity even to kind of be good at it. I don't think, I think I would have probably fallen off pretty early. Well, there's that hard thing where they're like, all right, you know, the, the dues paying aspect of you have to write about stuff. You could give two shits about it right. and make it sound like you are right. And the dues, I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, even in, in music, it's like you have to write about so many bands that you don't care about. That's right. Like. Exactly. That's you know, right. So you're point. like, well, yeah. I'm writing about music, but I'm writing, you know, about exactly whatever Finch. Right. Yeah. And that's why... The- there goes that podcast. Thanks, John. <laughs> Those guys actually already hate me, so that's why. <laughs> that you was like, this is a safe one. <laughs> yeah, I wrote... That we some- have to get there. I wrote something and then... Whatever. What it- do you want to go there? Yeah, I don't care. I want to know. Um, I wrote something about, like, looking back on the summer of Screamo, like that 2002, where it's like, Full Collapse came out. Yeah. And, like, that used record and all that stuff. Oh, the- yeah, that's right. And I wrote, like, a piece kind of revisit that new york times piece and i revisited all the bands they talked about mm. and kind of what they were doing now thrice and then finch was in there too and i said something like this is a one band whose record like kind of doesn't really stand up oh dude i read this yeah and yeah it sort of got back to me that those guys saw that and like we're not psyched on it but i stand by what i said and, I, and i'm sure they're super nice dudes but i mean what but you're not writing a super nice dudes review you're writing about your how you your taste in music and your right. knowledge set you right know? and it wasn't like a personal thing i wasn't like and these guys are dicks no like, i don't know them but i feel like that's the community has the internet's made everything so small and things get back so quickly that i don't know i kind of like reading stuff that's um honest and critical even if it's stuff that's about me because it feels like people now feel like they have to be either either like too nice or like super hot takes that are just like um kind of like reflexive and nasty so something that's actually thoughtful and it's like you know i don't think this is very good and here's why right well like you said earlier qualitating is a big deal you know but i i always got this is awesome. You're nodding really again. Kevin is nodding vigorously. <laughs> we, we we have this podcast. We have to be the Foggy Nelson for Matt Murdock. Yeah, I think that set the tone everything. early on. Yeah, it, uh, I remember Kevin's when I was in college. Now. I was I was a theater major and I was directing plays and I loved it. And they would send like the our our university. Uh, they would send you know the journalists over to review the play from their mm-hmm. from the our university news organization and their point of view was these people are not theater majors that have to be able to talk about it as because they don't know anything about theater this is exactly a thing as i was the arts editor at the newspaper so we were having opposite ends of this experience yeah and i remember saying like well then you're all fuck ups and i could give two shits about whatever you send over and because i was like because you, you don't have any background on it whether because i want to give you a little bit which is what amazed me about jonah is jonah is a musician has played in bands tours right. does it and knows can talk about that angle but see does that get you because that's part of the reason initially too i i think i wrote a review for pop matters about an, a 90 day men record and i didn't like it and i reviewed it vigorously negatively and then played a festival with them yeah. and i kind of realized like oh this might become it, it fairly quickly a conflict of interest yeah it's it's hap- it doesn't happen as much to me when i was at ap it happened a lot because mm-hmm. i was like the reviews editor so i'd have yeah. to review tons of stuff and not like it and then it would the bands would play and of course they'd be playing with like my friend's band and yeah. like they'd try to call me out like I had I had a thing with so many bands. Yeah. Yeah. Um but and even when I was writing Steven's show, there were some bands that would come in and Steven would be like, Jonah's writing this show and they'd be like, Send him down here. <laughs> really? Like, did anyone ever actually say something to you? 
That happened once, but that was my fault. Yeah, and, and a lot, <laughs> yeah. to be honest, al- almost no one really said anything to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is, you know, very rarely. Yeah, but um, but yeah, it was. It's not really fun to like go to a show and then be like, "Ugh, these guys hate me." Right. Like, I know I'm gonna have <laughs> some weird. Sucks. Like, I had someone from a band tell me I didn't know anything about music. Like, and it's like. I don't know, man. Like, I just want to be at the show. Yeah. And yeah. It's, so it, it was kind of weird. I don't, and I don't really do a whole lot of like reviews anymore. Mm-hmm. And I, especially if it's a band I'm friends with, to me, it's like, I just rather would not write about it, whether I like it or not, because yeah. it's not worth throwing away whatever I have or not throwing away, but like, it's not worth that awkward interaction for like 50 bucks. Like no. someone else can write that one. No, I, that's, and that's a pretty, I think that's a good, uh, operating baseline there. I, I, cause it's funny. I don't, I just wrote something for the talk house about, right. uh, Dave Bazan's last record, which is him with the string quartet. And I'm a, I, I've become friends with him and I'm also, I love what he does and have for a long time. So the review was favorable and the review was, uh, and they were, you know, Michael Tedder there was like, he wanted that to be what I wrote. And, and, and like, you know, we, you kind of go through this vetting process and you pick some things and that's what we ended up landing on. And he's not like a close friend. It's not, I don't think I would ever feel comfortable reviewing like a brand new record or a Manchester orchestra record or some bands that I've like played tons of shows with. And, um, but I had this weird thing happen where even on his, on that record. And I think this is cool. Um, part of what the character of it is his voice he's got like a rasp in his voice that day and part of what i liked was that it's like well some days that's the voice you show up with and if you tour 180 days a year someday you're gonna have like not the clear angelic whitney houston voice but you're gonna have like the you know rip in your throat and he and it kind of add added this quality to it because there's these string arrangements and it's really beautiful and then his voice was this other quality and after i put it out there i had this moment of like i hope he's not going to be bummed that i called out the fact that his voice was because i meant it as a value added thing but it is calling attention to the fact that it wasn't perfect or whatever and of course he didn't give a shit but i had this thing in my head about like ah fuck did i like i don't know but that's part of a critical apparatus right, isn't right. it is like describing the thing you're it's listening ins- to it's insane that you bring up bazan because i actually I know it's coming up on 10 years that he put out that headphones record. Yeah, that's right. And I reviewed it for AP when it came out. And I am a huge Bazan fan too. And was sort of, you know, we knew each other and I gave it a pretty bad review. Right. I actually like it a lot now. That's but actually at the time things move around. Yeah. Too. And I was yeah. like, I was like, said something. I was like, Ugh, doesn't this guy know like this keyboard has more than one sound on it? <laughs> like it was like, and, and I, and, and I remember I would always go see him and that was actually my review. And I went to go see him when he'd put out that first Dave Bazan thing, that five song EP. Uh, fewer moving parts. Fewer moving parts. Yeah. And he had just put it out and I was he was like, Hey man, I saw your headphones review, like I really liked it. I thought it was really good. Like it was really constructive. Like I think you really thank you for like and I was like He said this while punching him. That's the thing. That's yeah, no, but it was it was so nice because I had been dealing with so much shit about like this band hates you, this band hates you, like blah blah blah. And it was nice just to hear someone be like I read this, not that like I, I know what I'm talking about, but just like, it wasn't like, fuck you, man. Like, well, it also shows an understanding of the exchange. Like if you're going to make music and it's going to be, um, 
it can't just be like you're cool with the good reviews and you're like personally vengeful about the bad reviews. Part of the deal, if you're putting it out in in the world, is I mean, if you're gonna like, especially if you're gonna like have a, a publicist or a label who's gonna try to, if you're trying to get press, you then can't really be pissed off about n- people who might not like it. You know right. what I'm saying? Yeah, like I, I do, but I think it's different. Like, I think it's different in the case of you or Bazan or some, like, I guess for me, like musically, I play guitar in a band. Mm-hmm. So no one's like, this song's amazing, except the panned right guitar, <laughs> this riff sucks. Like, <laughs> why would Jonah you know, pick this? Where it's like with you or someone like that, it's like, it's your words. I feel like you're putting more of kind of yourself into it. So I understand why it's easier to take it personally. It does. It's not that it's, of course, it's not that it's not personal, but I guess what I mean is like, unless someone's being vicious and personal, right. If they're just being like, I don't like this music. Well, you know, you're not going to please everybody. We just had, we did a tour as a three piece, this last band one. And I was setting up two amps and putting like a slight delay to the second amp to make it stereo spread, take up more room, and we were loving it and it was really cool to play more lead lines and try to like fill in some some space. Um, and like the one kid, that, you know, you this is also more about like a hundred people can say, dude, this is fucking great. And this one guy came up in Santa Ana, California. Like I went out to the observatory to merch table. Yeah. It's a great venue. Yeah. I like it there. I yeah. And this one kid came up as I went out to the merch table like 10 minutes after our set was over and he was like the first guy and this is two weeks into the tour but he came up and he said can I give you a piece of constructive criticism and all his girlfriend was there she put her head in her hands and I this my brain is like yes he can yes he can of course he can you're out here this is and he said can you please promise me that you'll never again tour without a second guitar player I missed many of the lines and I thought I was like screaming in my head, like, who the fuck do you think you, you're the, who made you the arbiter of what constructive criticism is? Who's to say <laughs> that's constructive criticism? But instead I said, well, I can't promise you that because we just did it and it may happen again. And, you know, our other guitarist is having a kid and we also kind of liked the way it sounded. So I can't promise you that, but, you know, I'm sorry if you didn't enjoy it. And he said, well, Thank you, you know, and walked away. And I want, I took that as a sign of personal growth. Now I'm talking about it in public. And if he hears the po- podcast, he'll be like, <laughs> he'll know. Kind of sounds but, like one of ours. Yeah. <laughs> it does. That happened to me recently about this podcast. Do you mind if I give you a piece of constructive criticism? It was someone, like a comic book guy in The Simpsons, basically. Yeah, some, someone tweeted at me like, I dare you to do an episode of Gone Off Track where you don't say the phrase, I feel like. <laughs> well, that's a really, like, fine point critique. <laughs> And I, of course, took it the totally the wrong way and was like, uh, I don't know, man, if it bothers you that much, don't listen to it. And Is that the wrong he, way to take that? I don't know. He wrote back. He's like, I, I don't think you saw the humor. Like, I think he was trying to be friendly and like joke around. Sure. But I immediately just took it super personally. and was like, the Internet's what? weird like that, though. It's yeah. The problem with tweeting and texting is yeah. you can't, and then you I can't felt tweet bad. sarcasm. No, you can't. tweet. So then I felt like a dick. Yeah. So it's like, I how, can't how did that make you feel? He's trying to set you up. That was good. I feel like I feel like it like made me like feel, feel like, like I feel like now it makes me super self conscious yeah. about saying that. Which is you can't you you know, you can't produce in that environment. Right. So I want to apologize to that guy though, because maybe maybe I don't want to apologize to I feel like you don't need to. Away. Yeah. <laughs> I'm right. wondering and let's edit that apology out. <laughs> um this is a weird thing. 
Can I pause for a minute to pee? Sure. <laughs> Is yeah. that okay? Definitely. We're going to keep recording. Yeah. Yeah. Because we don't know how to shut it off. All right. Yeah. Keep going. It'll be so fast. I'll yeah. Be right back. Yeah. Go for it. Okay. So, Steven. <laughs> I don't think this has ever happened before. No, it has, but we've always had the ability to cut it out, but we haven't without I, Brad here. Yeah, for those I listening. I mean, I don't. I think we should just leave it rolling. Let's talk. I think ab- we let's have. Talk about you. I, I I spent. I slept over your house last week. That's weekend. true. That's true. John, we saw pianos become the teeth. They were they were Gates. amazing, and Gates and uh, Loma. Peretta. I can't, I can't remember. I, was, I know it's Latin. Maybe. Sorry, guys. Maybe and. Uh, yeah, that was a fun. That was fun. fun John got to wake up, and uh, my children had been awake almost two hours before Jonah rolled out of the bed across the hall from them, <laughs> which was impressive because I can sleep through anything. Dude. You didn't hear the screaming of "Daddy," which is followed by me going, "Your legs function. Why don't you get up out of bed and come in here?" <laughs> and I, I think my favorite part was when both of your daughters would just run halfway around the house see each other and shriek as loud as they could and then run to the other side and do it again and then just keep doing it yep that's pretty much it that's why <laughs> it was so funny that's why i i cut down my uh, cable package because i don't need a lot of the channels I used to i can just watch them run around and scream yesterday i watched them one explain to the other one how to jump <laughs> okay you gotta bend your knees and jump forward and the other one would get up they have names <laughs> just get next to like okay that's it bend your knees now jump and they're jumping like off two steps while wearing you know rubber rain boots that do not adhere to the feet at all and i'm just thinking wow if i was a kid this would be so much fun but right now all i'm thinking about is impending dental bills yeah they're they're so funny though now, Kevin, we took the moment. What have you guys been to, talking about? To let you guys, uh, the the humor in my children. Jonah stayed over at, at my house this past weekend after a show and got to see full on, basically my life, which is watching my four year old twins just be awesome and funny. They're hilarious. Uh, this morning, it got to the point where, and I kept telling my wife, just you just have to ignore because if you keep saying stop saying the word but he's just gonna keep doing it it's never gonna stop and i was so thrilled and proud and impressed at my daughter kate because it was just like yeah we got to go but and everything everything <laughs> had the word find a way but to edge in it. it yeah and and then i'm just dying laughing trying to hold it in and my you have wife, twins i have twins yes four-year-old twins <laughs> and I i'm sure that's uh, amazing and i'm also sure it's super challenging yeah i don't recommend it for yeah. those of you who have multiples, I'm with you. For those of you who have the possibility, have children one at a time. Yeah. Yeah. And you? Uh, none yet. None yet. But married and, and it's definitely on... It's a discussion. Uh, yeah. And it's it's kind of advanced. Pulled the goalie? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And so we'll see. I mean, I, and I, I, yeah. I think in my 20s, I definitely had a lot of like socio-political arguments against in my head about having a family and 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 most of them delivered over like a dinner plate full of lines of cocaine pontificating at six in the morning and so that's gone away and so some of the the arguments are still there oh yeah but all i know is one day it was like if that was like a padlocked door at the end of a long hallway with no lights now it's like well lit and it's open and there's like Mm -hmm. You know, that's what your 20s are for um, stupidity and trying things that you're like, this can't hurt if I do it once. Yeah. Or for seven years. Yeah. <laughs> Repeatedly. <laughs> but yeah, but I, 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 I do want that. My brother just had a, a baby girl and she's like, you know, I can't handle it at all. I'm just like staring at her like rendered idiotic 
I love you. I love you. I love you. I kind of like have no. That's, that's kind of the moment when someone close to you, because I was that way in my 20s. I was like, children, bah. Yeah, right. You know, marriage. <laughs> no way. Yeah. And then I, I'm a rock forever, dude. Yeah, no yeah. way, man. <laughs> Nothing's going to break through this wall. Right, right. And then I had a, you know, like I had a number of friends who had kids and I was like, cool, have kids. I don't give a shit. And then yeah. one guy had had a son and all of a sudden something shifted. Yeah. And I was like, happened. okay, all right. This could be fun. Yeah. But then recently we had a conversation where we were out to dinner with both of these monsters. And I looked at one and I said, you're a trip to Japan. And I looked at the other one. And I was like, and you were my, my dream to go to Israel at some yeah, point. Yeah, right. Which is real. It, completely. Yeah. yeah. We're never leaving the house. And, and uh, the thing that, because that, I, this is, I'm, I'm not going to not do music it's what i've i've kind of now it's set that and i'm sure you both know this and relate to this i feel like you're like far enough in the woods that turning around makes less sense than just keeping straight and i would rather do it than than do other things but it's also like now that's how i make a living in the mm. world too so that's cool and i'm with somebody who i've known forever and that's not a issue or a question but i do I was initially kind of freaked out about like, how do you do that and do what I have a kid and do what I do. And then there's all these songwriters and musicians who do it. I wouldn't be like the first person to do it. Um, I think now that the, 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 um, the terrain of touring is such that more bands are embracing go out for a month, home for a month, go yeah. out for a month. You yeah. know what I mean? Which and, makes it, I have one of my wife's cousins, husbands is he's in the jewelry business and he travels like 50% of the year that's his job so it's which is like what our job I mean yeah I, I feel consistent. like I've been away half the year at least since 2006 every mm -hmm. year mm -hmm. and I don't know how that I don't know, know if that would slow down I mean you could take an extended break but I don't know if that would slow down I just have to find different ways to do it I think eight week tour is out the window if you're having a kid I think you'd have to kind of break that stuff up into smaller bites but how long was the one you just did eight Six, weeks yeah because I remember I saw you and you were like, we should hang out or something. We'll be back in like two months. Yeah. You were like, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> totally remember that. That sounds good. <clears throat> yeah. I left like that was the weekend. I left that Tuesday and, and did three weeks with Evan from Into It Over It and Laura and then five weeks full band and um, Field Mouse is a band from Brooklyn and Dad's band from Jersey. They opened those shows. Okay. But and it like was like two tours kind of Frankenstein together and um most of like I, you know we didn't play the Dakotas, Montana, Hawaii, Alaska, but I kind of think we played almost everywhere else. 45 states or something. Do you hit a point like 5 or 6 weeks in where you're just like Ugh, I'm so over this. I just want to be in my bed. Weirdly what happened on this tour maybe because it was separated it felt like two different things if I had done 8 weeks of either of those tours you know what I mean yeah for sure there would have been a point where you're like it's just like hard to you know go into battle with that every day hard to get it up for that cuz there's a part where you're just like it you know especially when you're in certain places there's a patch of like, I kind of like something about everywhere we go on tour, but there is a patch of, like, the Midwest for eight days when it's negative 10 degrees out. That's bleak. You know, it's like, it's light for four hours if it's light at all. Right. And, you know, you're not, it's it's February in um, Iowa City is not, like, the optimal 
experience. And there is moments where you're like, you know, the fifth night in a row when you're in a truck stop staring at the candy aisle and you go, the fuck am I doing here? But there's also lots of moments. First of all, what I'm doing here is it's a choice. Secondly, compared to almost every other thing I've, I've ever done for work or most other people I know have to do for work, it's an awesome experience and all that's they're They're both true at the same time. But this tour, because it was these two things wedged together, actually somewhere around six weeks, I just kind of like started drifting, like coasting rather. Or I wasn't bummed out. I was just kind of like anything that was happening too high, too low. I was just like, okay, okay. So maybe you get a little callous, but I still liked being there. Our RV broke down. We had to like reorient everything about the travel for the last week like everything changed in like an hour and it was kind of like went from like you're sleeping in the bunk to like pack up as if you're never going to see this thing again because it's not leaving this parking lot in houston and let's get an uber to the airport to rent a minivan and let, you know like just figuring all this stuff out in real and call the support band see if they can take the gear in the trailer all of that <clears throat> yeah all of that maybe if it happened like the fourth day of a tour would have been like this manic it was just more like okay <laughs> sort of like collecting your shit and like one foot in front of the other so in that respect it was kind of good but then i got home and it was like yeah it was almost like the range of color came back more and i was like <laughs> oh yeah i don't know if i want to see this much that is a rough time to tour you're not really following the summer you know what i mean no we did four seasons in like eight weeks oh my god there was a <clears throat> literally 100 degree fahrenheit swing between the coldest and the warmest and they were separated by like 12 days it's like 90 degrees in san diego on the 10th of march and it was like negative 10 in iowa city on the 28th of february or something like that so but um i don't so that i think yeah that's that's long that's long without kids that's long yeah single that's long i don't don't know how bands do it I, i find it deplorable you know, it's like, and, and I'm one of those people like, yeah, when are you guys coming to my town? Right. But it's just, just like, oh my God, l- l- leave them alone. I kind of have a feeling <clears throat> it does some kind of weird disc defragmenting thing to your brain that even if you think you're fairly healthy about, I have a feeling like five years down the line from now, I'm going to be like, oh, I'm weird. Like this just kind of, cause you're kind of living two lives and then you're like trying to build technology, which is awesome because we can build those bridges but it's also kind of like it's fucking weird to try to be in two places at the same time and because n- even with that f- phantom attachment you kind of can't so i kind of feel like there's a i bet that i feel like there's a psychological strain that comes with it and i can't figure out if i should try to make tour more like home or home more like tour and i keep trying to like it's like a science experiment like try this here try this here and see what like would normalize it because for me it's the adjustments that are weird if you had the option you know to have the career without touring would you bail on touring i don't know i actually really like touring a lot of people i know i mean i like aspects of it a lot if i could be in a band if if i was like a, a big enough artist that i could do maybe like half as much touring but still do a couple months a year like i like going out on tour but 18 months into having records out it does feel a little different than it does you know at the outset it's like anything else if i get some separation from it i miss it but if i'm doing it 
I think since like the records came out in October of 2013, and I think the longest I was home for any stretch from then to like this past thing was a month, five weeks, something like that. That's like not long enough to really get rerouted and to miss touring. You just kind of feel like just as you're getting reacclimated at home, you go back out. What does your wife do? She is a uh, she works at a nonprofit healthcare services provider for HIV AIDS patients in New York. So she's benefiting humanity. Yeah. Whereas I'm slowly stripping away from it one slice at a time. She uh, she used to actually before Boy, you we were, married up, didn't you? Yeah. Oh, damn it. <laughs> yes. Before we were it, before that though, and before we were a couple, she sang in a version of the band on the first on like my second, third, and fourth records. She sang harmonies and played hit a tambourine and stuff like that. And still, actually, on the Evan and Laura tour, she came out to visit for a weekend, and I like you know talked her into getting up and doing a few songs and but. But we toured together as a couple, and I don't know how the fuck people do that. Yeah, I don't know how they... Well, Laura figured it out. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also for Laura, she can go do a couple of weeks solo, and Mike can do other things, right. and I can kind of then... I just felt like I, I married her. I love my wife, and I've known her since I was. we were in a couple for this length of time at all, because it's insane. But I've known her since I was 17. She knows me. I know her. But... Going on tour for like four months and then coming home, walking up the stairs and sitting on the couch and like looking at each other and being like, okay. <laughs> there's like, a there's, reason Fleetwood Mac became what they are. Yeah. Cause it's like, I, what do you talk about? Like, I know <clears throat> what you've been doing every minute for the last four months and now we're going to, you know, I, I, right. I think like you don't want to be like, well, that one promoter is such a dick. Like, no. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like, ugh, who yeah. cares? No, I think it's like even when at home, like you get away from your family for a couple hours a day to go to work or whatever. There's, you know, whatever. Absence makes the heart grow fonder when you're mm. fucking living on top of each other. It was also too many hats to wear. It was like, oh my God, bandmate, social circle sharing, partner romantically, roommate, kind of your boss. That's not. What do you mean, kind of. <laughs> well, I mean, in that instance, I was kind of her boss. Oh, that wouldn't have worked out at all. N- no. no, it doesn't work in either direction. Yeah, no. So, yeah, there's got to be that partnership. But I always say, you know, compromise is a nice way of saying that one of you doesn't get what they want. <laughs> that's yeah, that seems like that'd be really good on like a coffee mug or a dude. That's that's why marketing. people are like your house looks. Oh, Jonah was over this weekend. He's like this place looks great. I'm like yeah, I did fuck fuck all. Or or a compromise means that just neither of you got what you wanted. <laughs> I, I'm like the slightest bit colorblind, and that's always her go-to. Well, I you can't too. see anything. I can see everything. <laughs> You're daredevil. Yeah, completely. <laughs> I have a radar sense that allows me to tell that that I know that's white. I know that pink is actually not white, I but I know it. I can hear it. it. Yeah. yeah, I'm synesthetic. I'm John Mayer. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be John Mayer. You can see colors. That's what he says. Yeah. He says that? I never yeah. knew that. I, was, knew, I knew it was a thing. I didn't know that he said that. Yeah. Mm. He's a guy I would not want to hear jam for a long time, even mm-hmm. though I'm sure he's a really good guitar he's player. He's a really great guitar player. Yeah, but, after, but I'm not into that, like, it's kind of pentatonic, like, no, whatever. What what's, what'd Corey Brennan say about bluegrass? I I think you can attribute this to, to everybody. It's like, I get it. You can hit every note. Right, right, you know? right, right. <laughs> There's it. something about restraint it. that's cool, too, or a different kind of... Uh, yeah, you don't have to touch everything. Yeah, Keith Moon would not have worked in the Beatles. 
No. You know? There, who, there was some article recently that the drummer from... Did you see this? There was like a guy... For, it was in... Maybe it was on, like in Paste Online or something, but it was maybe the drummer from War on Drugs. But talking about Ringo as like this guy gets has been historically shit on for... 50 years is just being lucky to have been in the room but also like he kind of wrote the book on how to like write play the right rock and roll drum part to make a song better he was like the best drummer for those songs which is no small feat yeah his thing was what you don't play is as important as what you do right and, and he, then they all made solo records and wanted him to play on them. So it says something about that, too. And he had the first uh, hit single of a solo Beatle. A lot of people Is that it. true? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Don't Come Easy. Oh, yeah. That was him. And he's, he's not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame by himself. I think he just got put in. Yeah. Oh, did he? This, this past one? weekend. Yeah, that might have been where that article was written. My parents were there. Somehow my parents got into to the. Uh, it was at the Barclays it's Center? No, it was in Cleveland. Oh, Where oh, they oh. live. And I, I somehow oh, right. yeah. they went to the. They saw some <clears throat> press conference Ringo gave. They were like, we were like second row. It was crazy. That's wild. But yeah, he, yeah, I think he was just there. Because the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is, is necessary and important. Yeah, yeah. And an actual, you know, arbiter again, second time. God bless it. But. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, it just touched the mic. <laughs> it was by accident, but I got the dirtiest look from Brad. <laughs> so sorry. It was before, you know, it won't be in the podcast. You'll edit that out? Although, you know, we have plenty of recordings of you touching the, the mic. You know, too. when you have something just like sitting in front of your face for an hour, and you're you're thinking about what you're going to say, and you're not really paying attention, it's... I feel like it's sort of normal sometimes to just like touch something. Maybe you know what I should do for you? I should get like you know like those tassels like little girls have on their bicycle handlebars. Yes. I could just maybe dangle those off of your mic stand and then, you know, when you're feeling like you need to think you could reach up and, and kind of Yeah. Fondle the tassel. <laughs> That's a good idea. I gotta get what color do, what color do you like? Is there like a less creepy word we can use in tassel? <laughs> Fondle the tassel. Yeah, is there? There's got to be another way to say that <laughs> that doesn't make my stomach feel weird. Why do you? Why do you consider tassel to be a uh, a, a creepy word? Oh uh, my god! John, can we talk about this? I think that's like a a whole other podcast. <laughs> uh, I don't. What know. happened to you? I don't know. In Cleveland. <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. Creepy, creepy Cleveland. <laughs> I was just in Cleveland working on the Alternative Press APMAs a few weeks back. Um, good to be home. Good to be home. Got to see a couple old friends. Got to see a lot of a lot of old, a few old friends from Cleveland, but a lot of old friends from you know AP Warp Tour. Um, they had a 30th anniversary Alternative Press exhibit at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that opened. So got to go to that. I've still not been to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You should go. And if you're in a band, you can go for free. But they make you prove you're in a band. <laughs> so we because we went with the United Nations last time when we played with Coliseum, and they were like. You know, band, we're like, yeah, they're like, what's your website? We're like, oh, we don't have a website. <laughs> and they're like, well, what's this and this? And we're like, well, it's kind of anonymous. Not anonymous, but I was like, we don't have a big internet presence. And they're like, well, you have to prove. So they had to go to our Wikipedia page, which is accurate, luckily. Right. But they had to, like, go through all of our IDs to prove we match the names on the Wikipedia page. They sat there with, like, yes. on the computer and yes. looked at your Wikipedia page and looked at your IDs. Yes. Every person. That's awesome. Um, but I'm sure... I'm sure there's Goop's documentation. I'm sure, and I'm sure they would have no idea that the Goops are not still an active band. 
So you could go for free. <laughs> Great. How about my kids? Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I think you could all go. They're not in a band. Just I don't know. You can you can make a fake <laughs> Wikipedia or a fake website and really save a few bucks. Yeah, Just it would be very easy. It was not it was, <laughs> the vetting process is not that difficult as long as it says your name in relation to a band. Interesting. I wonder how many people try to say they're in bands though and aren't, and they look it up and they're like. Sorry. <laughs> like, just because you have, like, a dumb haircut doesn't mean you get it for free. <laughs> Anyways, who knows, right? Who knows? I guess we'll never know. Uh, but, yeah, thanks to Kevin Devine for coming on the podcast. Uh, check out his Divinal Split series. Check him out on tour. He's always on tour. He's going to the U.K. with the front bottom soon. So uh, check him out. Uh, donate to us on iTunes. Check us out on Twitter. Um, just tell your friends about Going Off Track. Tell them. Tell them all about it. And we'll be back next Wednesday. Um, okay, bye. With the podcast. Podcast. <laughs> imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.